So last week I asked everyone if, if you've ever lost anything. I think the answer to that was pretty obvious. We've all lost something before. Today I ask you a slightly different question. I want to ask you if you have ever gotten lost. Have you ever gotten lost? Have you left home and gotten lost? Now maybe you were going on a a long road trip out of town, out of state, and uh, not 100% sure of, of how to get there, so you try to get some directions. Maybe you grab a road atlas, you ask a friend, you write down some directions. I remember a time before um, GPS on cell phones. Um, Tanya, myself, my dad, and my stepmom were, were going to go visit some family down in West Virginia. And uh, so back then, the, the latest and the greatest thing to do was, was Google Maps. You'd get on Google and you'd, you'd put in the starting address and the finishing address and it would print off all the directions for you. So that's what we did. And that's what Tanya did anyway. She, she printed off some directions off of Google. Let me tell you, those directions were horrible. They were horrible. I, we were someplace down in southern Ohio, and it has us get off the highway for some reason, and we start going down all of these side roads. Why are we going all, down all these side roads? We end up on this gravel road going down through these cornfields and end up at a dead end. Why? No idea. And all we had were these pieces of paper with directions had no clue. How do we get out of here? And so we had to retrace our steps all the way back and get back on the highway and, and go to a gas station and get some directions there. It was, it was horrible. Of course, now we have GPS navigation on our, our cell phones. Um, but that doesn't always work either, does it? Who, who here has ever had Siri send you in the wrong direction, huh? Yeah. You get, you get into a, a kind of a desolate area, you, you lose signal, the software glitches and the screen starts to get stuck in that refresh mode, you know, that little wheel of, you know, come on, hurry up. Get con- it gets confused by new roads that it doesn't recognize are there. I remember, I remember the, the interchange there, uh, 131 and 94, when they first redid that. Cell phone didn't know what to do. You know, I'm driving out in the middle of a field, according to Siri, you know, gets, gets confused by some of those things. It's desperate to get you back on the road, you know, refresh, you know, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Sometimes you just can't trust that technology. Not too long ago, there was a guy who, who plunged into a river as, as Siri, as the GPS sent him down this road where the bridge had been washed out and hadn't been replaced. That's easy. It's easy to get lost when you're going on a trip, uh, a long trip to someplace that you've never been. But some people even get lost close to home. My cousin Becky, Shane, you may remember this story. Many years ago, my cousin Becky, which is also his, well, it's a, it'd be his aunt, um, she called her dad. She was much younger. This is a number of years ago. She called her dad, my Uncle Sam in a bit of a panic. Dad, I'm, I'm lost. I, I've been driving around for hours and I, and I can't find my way home. Well, Becky, calm down. Oh, where, where are you? 
What do you see? And she went on to to describe a, a landmark that was just outside the town of Delton. How many people are familiar with Delton? Pretty small little town. Becky lived there her entire life. Her dad's like, Becky, how are you lost in Delton? You've lived here your whole life. And yet, here she is, lost. There's so many reasons why people get lost. Bad directions, outdated maps, computer glitches, unreliable technology, lose bearing sense of direction, where's you know, east from west and north from south, um, completely clueless like my cousin Becky. Uh, some, <laughs> hey, am I wrong? No. <laughs> I, I could, we could spend hours telling stories about Becky, okay? Uh, uh, yeah, completely clueless. Anyway, I'd love her. Uh, some people ignore maps. They refuse to ask for directions, right, guys? They just go their own way. I'll figure it out. They think they know better. Their pride keeps them from seeking the help that would, would help them. For many reasons, so many reasons why people get lost. But thankfully... Thankfully, there's a gracious God whose greatest desire is to see every lost soul saved and brought safely home. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a section of Scripture that has been labeled by some as God's lost and found. Three parables that deal with with lost things being found by their owner. Parables deal with things lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and then today's parable, probably one of Jesus' most famous, the lost son, or most often referred to as the prodigal son. Verses 1-2 through two of, of this chapter tell us what motivated Jesus to tell these parables. The Pharisees were criticizing him because he received sinners. These religious hypocrites were astounded that someone like Jesus would, would spend his time with tax collectors and, and sinners like this. They're stunned that he would, that he would receive such wicked and, and evil people. In response to, to the hardness of their hearts, Jesus tells them three stories, each designed to teach the same great truth. Every soul is precious to God. Every soul is precious to God, even yours. Like I said, today we're going to look at the uh, the parable of the prodigal son. As Jesus moves through these stories, he's placing greater and greater emphasis on the value of the thing lost. The parable of the lost sheep, there, there was one sheep out of a hundred missing. One percent. The parable of the lost silver coin, there was one coin out of ten missing. That's ten percent. But here in the parable of the lost son, the, par- the prodigal son, there, there's one son out of two missing, 50%. And each time, the object lost grows in value and importance. There are so many layers of lessons that we can learn from this one parable, so many, so many different directions that we can go, so many things that we can learn from this. Today, we're going to concentrate on the main lesson that Jesus lays out, God's desire and Jesus' mission to save the lost. This, this one parable really lays out gospel. 
lays out the whole gospel right here. The lost are those in the world that have never, that have never come to know Christ. And the lost includes those who have left the Father. Every soul is precious to God, even yours. And whether you are hopelessly lost in the world or you've wandered away, God is lovingly and patiently waiting for you to come home to him. And here, Jesus presents a vivid illustration of God's amazing love and his mercy for repentant sinners. So, this morning, let the Lord speak to your heart today. Heed his voice if he calls. Let's read this parable together. Luke chapter 15, 11 through 24. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Now the first thing that we see here in this parable was an astonishing request. The younger son asked for his share of the property, his inheritance. There's this father with two sons, and the younger son goes up to the father one day and says, and asks him for his share of the inheritance. According to Deuteronomy 21:17, he was entitled as the younger son, he was entitled to one-third of the inheritance, his father's estate. But this was an astonishing request. It was shocking. Now, you don't, know, you don't need to know a, a lot about, a lot of context about uh, for the first century to, to understand that you, you usually don't get your inheritance until someone dies. Now, it, it was possible for the father to retire early, decide to give his sons their inheritance while he was still living, but that was, that was his choice if he decided to do that. that was, and that was highly unusual for him to do that. It would be incredibly arrogant to disregard the father's authority as head of the family and, and try to, to get him to do something like this. Dad, give up. 
I want mine now. In fact, the son was saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead and you had no more say in my life. I'm tired of you and I want to be set free from you and your control over my life. Dad, you're, you're as good as dead to me. So why don't you just give me what I've got coming now and I'll go off and, and I'll live my life, all right? Few of us could even imagine talking to our parents that way. Could you even imagine shocking that anyone be, would be so disrespectful, so arrogant? Yet that is exactly what the unrepentant sinner is saying to God as they live their life, total rejection to Him. It was a selfish request. Notice that this boy said to the father, give me, give me. His focus was on me. His life was, was wrapped up within himself and what he wants. He cares for, for no one else. His, his older brother, as the first son, had first claim to the inheritance. The older brother had, had the responsibility to carry on the father's legacy. This son doesn't care about his father or his, his brother or, or the family. He only wants to get what he wants, as if it's owed to him. The father had poured his life into building this estate so that he might have something to pass down to his sons. His father gave his son the result of the, the sum total of his life's work. Sadly, the younger son wanted what the father could give him, but he did not want the father himself. The lost son is a picture of the lost sinner. Take no thought or, or care for God. Their attitude is, is, give me. What can I get? They want his air. They want his food. They want his water. They want his time. They want his creation, his world. They want everything that he has created. But they don't want him involved in their lives. They want his blessings they don't want him. When God made man, he literally poured his life into man. His very breath, Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Every day that man, men live on earth, they consume the resources that God created for them. If they don't acknowledge him. They don't want him in their lives. They want what he can give them, but they don't want him. What a tragedy. No wonder the Bible calls men fools. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. Here's the thing. If you want to live your life like there is no God, he will allow you to do just that. If you want to take all that He can give you without acknowledging Him, He will even let you do that. But you need to know, at the end of your life, will be an eternity in hell. Is that what you want for the sum total of your life? 
Remember Proverbs 16.25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. What a a shocking and, and selfish request. A shameless rebellion. The father answered and divided his property between them. Imagine how how shameful, how shocking this would have been to those listening to Jesus tell this story. This is a culture where where honor and shame were were a big thing, a big deal. For the the son to say this to his father would have been a, a shameful rebellion. People would have been shocked to hear Something like this would bring shame to the, the whole family. The, the son for being so improper, being so arrogant and disrespectful. The parents for, for raising a son who would even say something like this. Jesus' audience would have expected not only the parents, but the whole, the whole town to disown the son for the shameful rebellion. But then the father goes ahead and, and actually grants the request which would have been even more shameful for the father. He gives the son his share of the inheritance and and lets him go. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And that really showed how shameless his rebellion was. Not many days later, the younger son was, was on his way. This shows that this was his plan all along. He packed up all he had, and he got as far away from his families as possible. He left the Jewish territory. He later ended up with pigs, and they were unclean to Jews, so he wanted to live his own way. He wanted to be his own master. He wanted to get out from under the rules of his home and his father and indulge his sinful desires. Money was his ticket out, and so he took it. He ran. He squandered all he had on reckless living. Apparently, this, this, wild, this wild life, the freedom he thought it, it went with, it was also part of his plan. It's why he wanted to leave. So he lived in the wild side for a while, buying whatever he wanted, spending it on anything that his, his flesh desired. When he left home, he, he left behind his, his moral constraints, too. He lived to, to gratify every whim and desire of the flesh. Wine, women, song. Then his, his money ran out. Then a famine came. And then came an awful reality. First was the reality of the emptiness of sin's pleasures. Now, did he have a good time? Oh, yes. I'm sure he, he probably felt like he, he had fun. Now, I'm not going to try to tell you that there is no pleasure in sin. There is. I mean, that is why we sin. Because we enjoy it. We like it. Even the Bible acknowledged that as, as fallen people sin brings us pleasure. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be, to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
Moses could have had it made as Pharaoh's son. Could have indulged every desire. The last phrase says that this pleasure is fleeting, the ESV. The NASB, it says temporary. The New King James Version says it's, it's passing. The KJV says for a season. For a season. This is a perfect season to, to illustrate. This is the trees outside. Outside used to be green. Full of promise one day, their leaves soon wilt. They fall to the ground, worthless. It's only after great difficulty are they cleaned up, only to be burned. The seasons of life change. When they do, everything that brought you pleasure at one point in your life will bring you pain instead. A life lived in the bottle. A life lived indulging sexual sins. A life filled for fleshly pleasures. A life lived for self. All of these things end up in the same way. Yes, there's, there's pleasure to be found in these things for a short time. But in the end, they're all empty. They don't bring what they promise. And we still feel the emptiness after the pleasure has subsided. They bring pleasure for a, a short time, but the eternity without God and hell worth a short time spent the pleasure of sin's embrace. In the end, all those earthly pleasures are, are worthless and empty, and you are faced with paying sin's price. Eventually, his money ran out. And so did all his so-called friends. Far country, a, a land of, of wine, women, and song had become a, a land of weeping, worry, and sorrow. Found out too late that sin carries with it a, a high price tag. Sin brings separation. The, the lost son found himself broke, alone, and, and miles away from a father who had done nothing but love him. Because of his own actions, he finds himself separated from the Father by a wide gulf of, of sin and pride and, and ignorance. It's the same thing with every person that is lost in sin. They're, they're separated from God. Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you, he will not hear. God loves each person. Jeremiah 31.3, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. And of course, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But their sins stand between them and him. What a waste. What a tragedy all over fleeting, passing pleasures that only last for a season. Then there's the awful reality that the, the price of sin is sorrow. Sin brings sorrow. He, he began to be in need, it says. Life had turned ups, upside down for this lost son. When the music stopped, the, the friends left, and the money was all gone, and 
And he had no way to even take care of his most basic needs. Sin had robbed him of everything, left him helpless, hopeless, all alone, a faraway country. That is how sin treats all its victims. It will promise you the world. This is what you need to be happy and and be fulfilled. But in the end, it can only deliver hopelessness and desolation and death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what you earn. James 1.14-15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We say, it pays to live for God, and it does. It does. But did you know that it also pays to live for the devil? It pays dividends. You cannot even imagine broken lives, ruined marriages, shattered dreams, damaged trust, health problems, hopelessness, depression, defeat, ultimately death. All are are part of the pay package that comes with sin. It's been said that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you want to pay. Don't worry. Sin always pays off. Just not the way people think it will. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You won't get away with it. That's part of the awful reality of sin's pain. Because of his foolish decisions, this this boy found himself in a mess. That caused him to to learn some very valuable lessons. First, sin brings shame. He, He hired himself out to feed pigs. He goes from being an owner's son living high off the hog to to penniless. The only work he can find is is for a pig farmer, feeding the pigs. For a Jew, for a Jew, it doesn't get any lower than this. Pigs are unclean animals. Levitical law prohibited them from being eaten or, or used for sacrifices. Jews wouldn't even touch a pig out of fear of of being defiled. For a Jew to stoop to feeding pigs would would have been a great humiliation. For him to desire to eat the food that the the pigs touched would have been a disgrace. Those who heard Jesus telling this story must have been shocked beyond belief. The shame that this boy would have felt For being in this situation would have been beyond words. The reality is those who allow sin to have its way in their lives always come to shame sooner or later. Shame of a wasted life, the shame of a wasted youth, the shame of wasted opportunities, but worst of all is shame of a wasted eternity. It's a disgrace to sacrifice your, fa- your, your finances, your fitness, your, your family on the altar of sin and indulgence. 
What a shame to live that way and what a shame to die that way. It doesn't have to be. Sadly, many live like hell and don't seem to be bothered by it one bit. There will come a day. They will be ashamed in His presence. 1 John 2.28 And now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. Sin brings shame. Sin brings suffering. Here He is, no home, no help, no hope. No one cares for him at all. Not even his, his so-called friends. They won't even help him. They've deserted him. So, so hungry that he wishes he could eat the scraps the pigs are eating. He is suffering because of the, of the choices that he made. Sin has not changed. It always brings suffering. Proverbs 13, 15, good judgment wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful leads to their destruction. Sin brings suffering. Many suffer in this life because of the things that they lose to sin. Health, wealth, and family, and peace, joy. So many things that we lose because of our sin. Those who allow sin to play itself out to the ultimate conclusion find that hell is all they have to look forward to at the end of their life. Don't let that happen to you. Sin brings sorrow. No one around him cares whether he lives or dies. He's alone, he's lonely, he's hungry, he's broken. What a sad shape to be in. But for this young man, It was the first step in getting him home. Nothing is any more sad than a a life broken by sin. The anguish of seeing a life that was once filled with such potential dashed to pieces on the cruel rocks of wicked living. I want to make sure that you know today that you will not go into the far country and come back happy. No one has ever ever wandered wandered off into sin and and came back glad that they did. Man, I am so glad that I lived that life. No one has ever said that. They all returned broken, defeated, and humbled. David and Samson both had to be crushed by their sin before they returned. Far too many of us, that's what it takes to get us started home. See, many of us are pretty hard-headed. We ignore the gentle nudges of the Lord. Those little, those gentle taps on the shoulder. We brush them off. Be alone, Lord. Having fun. Lord, not now. Maybe a little bit. Come on. Just give me a little bit more time. I'll get there. Eventually, he hits us with a two-by-four. Right? Right? It's true. Have you ever, have, has the Lord ever hit you with a two-by-four? Amen? When he uses that two-by-four, as painful it is, as it is, praise the Lord. He has finally gotten your attention. Because he could have let you just continue on. 
He could have let you continue to live in that sin, to, to live in that faraway country. He loved you too much. So you got the two by four. Because that's what it takes for a repentant return. When reality finally hits this, this son, he, he, his son finally comes to his senses. Standing in that pigsty where the pigs were, were better fed than he was reflects on everything that he left behind. Realized even the hired hands at home are, are, have plenty of bread to eat. They're better off than he is. What am I doing here? The realization, we, when he came to himself, life lived in sin is a, is a life lived in insanity. You cannot make sense of it. Why? Because people love their sin. It doesn't make sense. They're often blind to their true condition, their ultimate end. Satan blinds them to the realities of both. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. I was just talking with somebody yesterday about that. We're talking about prodigal children. Their son, he readily admits, I know this is wrong. I know this is, is going to be painful and, and, and it's not the way I should be living and, and I know it's going to cost me so much, but, but I want to right now. I want to. Why? You know. I want to. For now. Blinded. Thinks that somehow he's going to get away with it. See, the devil would lose a lot of business if he came to a sinner and he said, now, now you're going you're to like this sin for a while. It's going to make you feel really good. But Eventually, you're going to die, and when you do, well, you're going to burn in hell forever. He doesn't do that. He tells people it's fun. You'll love it. There are no consequences. You're going you're to live forever, so, so, so enjoy yourself. Live it up. You're the exception. You'll get away with it. You're smarter than everyone else. Sclerosis of the liver? No. You're too good for that. You won't end up with that. Keep drinking. It's all right. But if they listen to God's call in their heart, they will come to see the truth. Seeing where you are is always the first step in getting to another place. The first step of getting out of sin is to realize that you are in sin in the first place. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when you admit that, you will, you will begin to see that God's servants are happy. When you realize the, the wretchedness of your condition, you will begin to recognize the God's servants, those who have chosen to go home, to not leave. They have hope. They're not trapped in the, in the same bondage you are. And then you will want to be set free. 
You'll say, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? (laughs) Even the servants in my father's house are better off than I am. That's why we live. That's why we're called to live a life, a testimony before others so that they can see us. They give glory to your Father that's in heaven. What's different about you? What have you got that I don't have? I want that. What am I doing here? That realization is the first step in getting out. Then there's the resolve. He makes up his mind to go home. He's, he's tired of living in this far country. He longs for fellowship with the Father. He wants to go where he could be loved and, and fed and, and cared for. He wants to go home. Even as he makes up his mind to go home, he, he realizes what he's done. He sees his own guilt, shame, his, his unworthiness, and yet he's willing to go home under any circumstances. Even be a slave, be a servant. Just wants to go back to the father's house. You see this change when he says he when he left home, he says, Give me, give me, Dad, give me. I want mine. But he returns home saying, Make me. Make me your servant. I'm I'm unworthy. I don't deserve anything. Before he didn't want to live under the Father's authority. Now he's willing to be a slave. That's what it takes to go back home. Here we see a person who is willing to confess his wrongs, to repent of his sins and return to his Father. That is where every lost sinner has to come to before they will be saved. God does this through conviction brought by the the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit allows us to show us our sins, reveal our impending judgment, convicts the world of, of sin and righteousness and judgment, according to John 16. The Spirit shows us where we are. He shows us what we are. He takes the blinders off and lets us see our condition, and then He points us to Jesus. No one, no one is saved apart from the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 6, 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We're drawn as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And that's where the return comes. And he arose and came to his Father. The lost son gets up and he heads home doesn't know what's going to happen when he gets there. He may be rejected. He may be humiliated. He, he may even be put to death. But at this point, he doesn't care. He's tired of the far country. He can't stay here anymore. He's going home. And that's what conviction will do to you. Holy Spirit will make the pain and the penalty of of sin so real and the salvation that that Jesus offers so glorious that you will do anything to get to Him. You will pay any price. You will stop any sin. You will embrace the truth just to be saved. 
That's what repentance is. That's letting go of yourself, realizing who you are and who he is, where you are. Do you remember the feeling of God's conviction on your life? If you're saved, you do. If you're saved, you know exactly what that feels like. And the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart. He revealed the truth of, them, of yourself to you. So it's all about living, leaving the far country and coming home. The question is, have you come home? There you will find an awesome reunion. As this young man headed home, he did not know what he might find there. But what he found was incredible. He found a, a loving reception. He found a father who was longing and looking and, and living for his son's return. He found a father who, who with, was filled with love, compassion, and grace, who received him and, and loved him back into fellowship. The father wouldn't even allow his son to finish his little speech. He just loved him right back to the relationship. The father ran. The father had been waiting for this day since the day his son had left. He had no doubt spent countless hours scanning the horizon, waiting, just waiting for a glimpse of his son coming home. Eagerness and joy to welcome him home was unmistakable. The son confessed his sin and his unworthiness, and before he could even finish his speech, the father kissed him. The verb kissed is in the present tense. Not just one kiss, but continual kissing. In spite of the smell, in spite of the filth, in spite of all the hurt and the pain, the father still kissed his son. This was the ultimate sign of acceptance. By the Father. Father anxiously waits for every lost sinner to come home to him. When we do, the, the Father lovingly kisses us back into the family. And then there's, uh, there's restoration. When this lost son came home, he had, he had everything he threw away restored by the good grace of the Father. His robe purity. Here stands the son in the rags of his sins. He doesn't look like a child of the father. He looks like a, a servant. He looks like a slave. But the father orders his best robe brought out and put on the son. The robe would, would cover all the stains and the dirt of the pig pen. The robe would make him look like his father. His robe erased all the visible signs of the son's Sinful past. When a sinner comes home, we receive a robe from the Heavenly Father. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness. All this pain and the stain of our past is forever washed away. All the dirt and the filth of life of sin is forever washed away from us. Isaiah 61.10 I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for He has dressed me with the clothing of salvation, and draped me in a robe of righteousness. Isaiah 118, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though, though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. That's what happens when we come home. All of that filth, he washes it away. 
And we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we're viewed as a son of the Father. And then the ring, his privileges. After the robe came the ring. The ring was a symbol of of sonship and authority. The one with the ring could, could speak for the Father. The one with the ring had access to all that belonged to the Father. The one with the Father's ring was in a position of great privilege. When sinners repent of their sins and come home, they are, are given the privilege of being recognized as his sons. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. We're given the privilege of speaking for the Father as his witnesses to the world in Acts chapter 1. They're allowed access to all that belongs to the Father. If we're children, then we are Heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17 tells us. When we come to the Father, he opens the storehouses of his grace and he gives us everything that he has. He doesn't hold anything back. Well, you only get this because you were, you were kind of bad. But they, they get a little bit more because they were good. I like them. You, hmm, No. He doesn't hold anything back. What a privilege belongs to those who go home to the Father. Then the shoes, his position, the Father calls for shoes to be brought for the feet of his son. Only slaves went barefoot. Sons wore shoes. The lost son returned home not expecting anything. To be a slave... But the father looked at him and said, no, this, this is my son. This is my son. The father alone determines the position and the worth of his children. Let me remind you that you are not a nobody if you have been saved by grace. You are not a nobody. We have this idea that we should, we're supposed to think of ourselves as just old sinners saved by grace. There's a sense of humility in that, right? The problem with that statement is the word just. When you were saved by grace, you became a child of God. He no longer sees you, sees you as a slave or a sinner, but as, as his precious child. It's a precious child that he loves like he loves his son Jesus. Now we're right to humble ourselves in his presence. We must show him reverence. But let's never forget if we're, if we're saved by grace that it is the Father who determines our standing in the family and not ourselves. And he has called us his children. Of course, none of us deserve his grace, or his mercy. But that's why it's called grace and mercy. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. It's his love that chooses to extend it to us and to to welcome us home. Now, that was a problem of the older son and the Pharisees. They were jealous. They were bitter. They, wanted, they thought it was based on their merit. I've been here all this time. 
I've never done any of those kind of things. What do I get? Why do they get it? None of us deserve grace or mercy. If you're truly saved, you've been accepted by the Father in heaven, and He has called you His child. Sounds to me like you're in a special place of privilege. He found rejoicing. It says, bring, he said, bring the fatted calf. Fatted calf was, was kept for special occasions. The, the fatted calf was the father's way of sharing his joy with all around. Instead of a wasted life, the father was celebrating a life redeemed and restored. So the father threw a, a huge celebration. He wants everyone to rejoice with him. The same when a sinner returns home to God the Father. There is rejoicing in heaven. And there should be rejoicing in the house of God. Amen? Every last sinner should bring us joy. We shouldn't be like the Pharisees and go, ah, them? Gosh, really? They get to go to heaven? I know them. They're the most wicked person I know. They, a string of just Sin, everywhere they went, they destroyed everything. Families and people and lives destroyed because of them. They get grace. They get mercy. They get to spend eternity in heaven. They're a co-heir. That doesn't seem fair. It's the heart of the older son, the Pharisees. We're to be like the Father. We're to rejoice when they come home. Oh, praise God they came home. They were so close. They were so close to spending eternity in hell. Praise God they finally came home. When the story of your life is written, what will it say about you? Will, you, will your story be a story, a tale of a wasted life? Or will it be the story of the lost son who came to Jesus for salvation? Where are you today? Are you lost in the far country? You need to repent. You need to come home. There is no better time to do that than today. The Heavenly Father is waiting to receive you, to clean you up, to, to put a ring on your finger and shoes on your feet and wrap you in His righteousness and begin a celebration. If you're not saved, you need to come home to Jesus right now. If you're saved, how long has it been since you thanked the Father for the grace he has given you in Jesus. How long has it been since you have acknowledged what He has done for you? Will you praised Him for that great gift of grace and mercy? Have you wandered away from the Father? Have you allowed sin, discouragement, pride, or, or disagreements with a brother or sister Fatigue or, or apathy to cause you to, to pull away from God. 
Are you where you should be today? Have you left the Father? Have you wandered away? Well, you need to come home too. The Father is anxiously waiting for you to come home to Him today. If you find yourself in the midst of a a shameless rebellion, understand the awful reality of that situation. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart to bring a repentant return. And then celebrate an awesome reunion with the Father where you will be received, restored, and where all of heaven will rejoice over you. You're a lost son, a prodigal. Come home. Come home. Come home today. May you rather have Jesus than anything else the world may afford today. Amen? Come home. The Father is waiting for you. Let's pray. Father God, we we come before you. We thank you for the words spoken by Jesus. We thank you that in spite of our arrogance and our sin, our our rejection, that you patiently wait, that you are anxiously waiting for the lost to come home to you. And when they do, there is a joyous celebration. They are received, they are restored, and there is rejoicing. Father God, I pray that if anyone here, anyone listening, finds themselves lost today, if they've wandered away, that your Holy Spirit would open their eyes to the reality of their situation. They would realize their need to come home. That they would resolve to do that today. Father God, I pray that you would do that in the hearts of them even this very moment. May they come home. In the name of Jesus, amen.